This is Austin Real Estate Investing. Austin Real Estate Investing. We'll be discussing real estate investing in Austin, Texas, and bringing you experts from all different sectors of the real estate game. Your host, Jordan Moorhead, is a real estate agent and investor in Austin and is here to help you get started or to build your portfolio and explore new strategies. Hi, this is Jordan Moorhead, and this is the Austin Real Estate Investing Podcast. Today, Ryan, Kelly, and I are doing a market update for Austin. Talking to you, we are talking June 23rd, 2022. It's been a little bit of a different shift that we've seen in the last couple months. And Ryan and I just want to talk about the facts and the data and how you can compete as a buyer and as a seller. Hey, Ryan, how are you? Doing great, Jordan. Enjoying another 100-degree day here in Austin, Texas. I see we're going to get a break here soon. It looks like it's going to dip into so. the high Actually, 90s. I hope so. We need it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, thanks for coming on here today. I love doing our market updates like this. And I think right now, more than ever, people really need to know what's actually happening in the market because they see all these crazy articles and they hear all these things like, oh, the market is crashing and it's so bad and don't buy real estate and blah, blah, blah. And I wanted to tell people the data of what's actually going on in the Austin market and what we're seeing as active realtors in the Austin market do. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's not as bad as it seems, but it's clearly we're done with the hysteric, super low of the pandemic. Like that is yeah. over. It needed yeah. to end because it was completely unsustainable. I think we're kind of in turbulent waters right now. We're clearly seeing a huge uptick in inventory. And of course, interest rates, a massive piece of that. But that's not just the only piece. Obviously, prices have gone way up for the last three years. That's a piece. Yeah. Uh, property taxes have gone way up. You've got, um, uh, obviously, inflation is hitting people's pocketbooks in other places like gas prices, for example. So, you know, there's so many different factors kind of finally hitting it once. And so I think what we'll talk about today is the fact that we're we're done, let's say, with the, the lows of the pandemic and the super low interest rates, but where are we going? And the data can kind of tell us some of those details. Sure. And I, you know, I think everybody is is just wondering, and I think we'll answer this question, but hey, is, is now still a good time to buy real estate? I think yes, and we'll go into that more here. And I'll tell you what I'm doing personally, but I'm still buying real estate. I'm still looking to buy more real estate in Austin. And I think it's a great time to buy and you can capitalize on everybody else being scared. I, I want to say, yeah, from personal experience, when everybody else gets scared, that's when I found the best deals that I've ever found in my career so far. So it can be a great time to buy when everybody else is uncertain. And it's important to keep that in mind. But for right now, so could you tell listeners what you're seeing in the market, Ryan? Let's just say generally across the market, you know, you talked a little bit about it, but let's go into more in-depth. What are you seeing in the market right now, working with people trying to buy homes? Yeah, you know, definitely been a shift. And I th you and I are probably having the same conversation over and over every day with clients, with sellers, with buyers. So, you know, even at the beginning of the year, the first three months of 2022 looked a lot like the first three months of 2021. It was very mm -hmm. low inventory. Uh, interest rates were still at or below 4%. Uh, 
you know, lots of offers going out on homes, not maybe as aggressive as 2021 in terms of the number of offers, but I was in several deals where they got 10 or 15 offers on homes. That was probably through March. And of course, then you had some shifts. Obviously, you had the war in Ukraine. Uh, inflation became a much bigger topic. Uh, and then, uh, of course, the Fed started to take action. So since they started raising their federal funds rate, that also kind of works its way through the bond market, which is what affects mortgage rates. Mm-hmm. And we've seen mortgage rates go from at the beginning of the year, maybe three and a quarter uh, to now they peaked out around six and a quarter, six and a half, depending on your credit score. And so, you know, my current buyers are probably locking in anywhere from five, nine to six and a half, uh, you know, again, depending on their lender and credit score, stuff like that. So when you have that large of a rise of mortgage rates, they said the largest since 1987. So we're talking almost 40 years here. Yeah, that's a shock. It's a shock to, yeah. to both sides. I think the buyers felt the shock first. I don't think, and I'm sure you can attest, I'm not sure all sellers have gotten the message yet, you know, that, hey, the market's changed. You don't get to go out and list 75,000 over the comps and still expect activity. In fact, they're getting a lot of crickets, some of them. So oh, yeah, that's one of the shifts we've seen. I think the other one is inventory, and we'll talk about that. But you know, in the low of the market, I was looking at the Austin Board of Realtors. I was looking at statistics today. Uh, so right now, we have 6,728 listings, single family in our entire MLS, Austin MLS system. So 6,700. In January of this year, we had 2,100. Mm-hmm. So we're up about 300% more homes for sale. Now, some of that is seasonal because we always have more homes for sale in the summer than the winter months. But a lot of that is because of the just let's call it the brakes were put on the fast moving car. So slowing down the buyer demand side, which is where interest rates come in, has allowed all this inventory to build up. I think you have some panic selling as well, which is just sellers feeling like, hey, I don't want to miss the peak. Let me throw my house out there. So I think you're going to have some of that. That's not going to last very long, but I think it'll last through the summer. So I think we're going to hit peak inventory personally, I think maybe in the fall, September, October, and then you'll see it kind of settle down a little bit, we might end up a little lower by the end of the year from from wherever the peak is. But that was 300% up from where we were in February. Last October, uh, we had about 4,300. I think that was the peak last year. Mm -hmm. So we're up about 50% over last October. So again, more inventory than at any point in 2021. If I go back to June of 2020, basically exactly two years ago, uh, we had 5,900 homes. We're at 67 right now. So we weren't, we're not that far off, maybe 20% more homes than we had at this point at the peak of 2020. But if I go back to July 2019, let's go pre-pandemic, that summer we had 8,700 homes for sale at this time. Wow. And so we're only at 67. So we're 2,000 homes below where we were in 2019. So it kind of depends how you look at it. We're way up from the lows of the pandemic, but we're still about 20% behind where we were pre-pandemic at this time. We're shifting back to that time period. We're doing it very fast. And so I think that's where everybody's trying to find their footing right now. Yeah, and I think people get scared when that happens. And I I know my experience and and myself included, it's easy to look back in the recent past and say, oh, compared to just this time ago, this is crazy. But I think it's important to remember and everybody repeats the same soundbite that, hey, historically, over the last whatever hundred years, 
rates were 7%. So they're around 7%. Yeah. We're not even there yet. But why it feels so drastic now is because the house I'm sitting in, I got a 2.5% rate in October 21. Yeah. Full right. disclosure, I'm refinancing this house right now because I want to go do it again. You know, so you I'm exact well i want i want the the loan so this specifically is an fha loan gotcha free up that loan and i'm going to go get a six and a half percent rate to buy my next house so it's easy for people to look just very recently and say oh rates aren't low anymore i'm not buying here's what i'm gonna do i'm refinancing this into a higher rate i i, I locked in a pretty good rate couple, like a month and a half ago and i've been paying the rate lock extensions that kind of stuff but I am going to buy, let's just call it a 6.5% rate. I'm not pre-approved yet. I don't know what it will be. 6.5% rate. And here in two, three years, if rates go down, which I keep hearing, hey, two, three years, rates are going to go down, I'll then refinance and get out of that higher rate into a lower rate and take advantage of I bought it at a good price. So I think everybody could agree that, in two or three years, prices are probably going to be up in Austin. So do you want to buy at this price now? And or do you want to wait until rates go down and then buy up here? And you can't change your basis. And I think that's really important for people to understand your basis. I would which add to that too. I think, you know, you mentioned it at the very beginning, the word crash. Mm -hmm. Well, a crash implies that there's going to be this massive change in price. Now, I'm not saying we may not see a change in price. In fact, I'll actually predict right now the median price in Austin will go down over the next six months. Very it's easy for me to say that because every year it goes down over the last six months of the year. Every year, I can go back to 2020, 2021, any year, the median price goes backwards the second half of the year off the peak. The peak is always May, June. So mm -hmm. what's going to happen though, is you're going to see all these headlines. Oh my gosh, Austin's price is coming down. Like, well, it always comes down. It always comes down. It might be a little more aggressive this year because we're going to have more inventory than the last two years. So you could see the median price pull back five or 10% over the next six months. The question is though, it's going to end the year higher than where it started the year. So the year is going to have a positive in terms of home appreciation. I hope that makes sense. So it's kind of like a tilted bell curve. Uh, what's going to happen, though, is what happens next year. We really aren't going to know yeah. where we are in the market until we get to January, February, March, April next year, when, if we're in a normal market, the spring generally will see prices rise again. And if we start the year higher than we started, you know, if we end the year start higher than we started, that means we're going to have another leg up next year off where we are in price. So I, I predict you're going to have some turbulence right now. Uh, but in terms of a crash, I don't think we're there. I think we're in a shift and we're in a downshift. We're going from high gear into a lower gear. Mm -hmm. But that means maybe instead of 20% appreciation or 30 or 40 that we've seen in some of these past few years, I think we're shifting back to what if we only go up 2%, 3%, 5%. That's not a lot compared to what we had, but it's still going up. And so... I think you're going to see the median price drop the second half of this year, but I'm not sold on the fact that the entire market will end up lower next year than it is right now. Sure. I don't think we have enough inventory to make that call yet. And I think it's easy, you know, for everybody listening, it's easy to look at, you know, looking at the MLS is how most people look at things. They look at Zillow or they look at Realtor 
and they see these price drops right now. And there's yeah. a lot more that goes into that. That doesn't necessarily mean that, hey, prices are going down. Like Ryan just mentioned, it takes time to see where prices went. It's not like the stock market, thank God. It doesn't go Absolutely. down drastically overnight and things don't change that quickly. Real estate is valued on comparable sales in the recent past. So that takes time to process and filter through. But right now we're also seeing, and Ryan, you mentioned this earlier, we're seeing a lot of, hey, I want to list up here. And as realtors, maybe we're saying, well, maybe you need to be right here. That's right. Uh, this is right where the house is worth is where it's going to sell quickly. But that doesn't stop because again, as a seller, you're the client, it's your decision, your final decision to make where the price is going to be. It doesn't stop you from listing higher. And maybe it sits for a while and then we have to reduce the price to get it to a price right. to where it will sell. And that's why people see all these price drops because sellers have said, hey, I talked to a guy earlier this morning. Well, you know, I've just sold my house here recently, but I wish I would have sold it a year ago so I could have gotten it bid up a hundred grand more. And I said, well, here's the thing though. If you would have sold it a year ago, maybe it would have gotten bid up a hundred grand, but you probably made 125, 150 more by selling it today Right, holding on to it, you've got to look more than just how much did it get bid up or what was the price drop. What's the price compared to what it was two years ago? And still you're way ahead. Hey guys, this is Jordan Moorhead here. And I wanted to ask if you could do a huge favor for me. If you could go leave a review for this podcast, wherever you're listening to it, that would really help me get this into the hands of other people that are interested in information about Austin real estate investing. And I'd be able to help more people. Thanks guys. Yeah, and I saw there's a, a company called Altos Research. Good company yeah. if you like following residential data. Uh, but one thing they show is in the low of the pandemic, how many, what percent of homes do you think had to lower their price? It was very low, right? It was like 10%, you know, maybe only one out of 10 homes had to do a price reduction. And that's, again, only because they were super aggressive or, you know, just, just didn't situate their house in the right, right spot for the price. Well, now we're probably up closer to 25 to 30% of homes now are having to price reduce. So what was the peak, by the way, was 2018. So 2018, they raised interest rates the second half of that year. And, and it shocked the market. Again, just like not as aggressive as now, but it was a big, at the time, interest rate climb from like I, three and a half to five. I bought they a house. Like 37% of homes yeah. had to price reduce at the end of, so we're not even there yet. We're going to see more price reductions because. I think the buyers are catching on because they're the ones who have to borrow the money. The sellers haven't caught on yet. So what's going to happen is the sellers have to kind of readjust their expectations of the market and understand you're not competing against one or two homes in your neighborhood anymore. You might be competing against 10. And that's a big difference. You need to really be on your on sharp as a seller uh, in terms of how you position your house, both with price, but also condition. Yeah, and I think it's important. I love that you say into 2018, they raised rates. So I bought a house in 2018 in the fall, yeah. 4.875 rate, where I had bought a house maybe a year earlier and gotten a 3.25 rate. And I thought, man, you know, interest rates have gone up so much at the time. I, I didn't get too caught up in it, but I was kicking myself that I didn't buy earlier. But I sold Isn't that Isn't that house. always the answer, though? I mean, think about it. If you talk to people and investors, long-term investors, Rarely do they say, man, am I glad I sold way back then, you know, I got to keep that cash. I mean, it may be at the peak of a bad cycle, 
you know, they wish they would have sold, but very rarely do I talk to an investor that's like, man, am I glad I don't own anything and I sold everything. They're always upset that they sold too early. They're yeah. always yeah. upset that they sold too early. And interest rate at the end of the day is just a factor in your spreadsheet. It is just the cost of debt. And so you've got to figure out if the investment makes sense. Now it's much harder. And so I think, mm-hmm. you know, test. I'm not having nearly as much investor activity as I had the last two years when interest rates were super low, but it will come back. I think if the housing can slow down a little bit and soften on the price and kind of find kind of some footing where price doesn't keep going up 20%, I think that's going to slow down and rents are going to keep going up. Rents right now are still on the rise. So it might actually start to improve the yields of rental properties over the next two or three years, if the if the home values can start to to flatline or soften a little bit, I actually hope they do, uh, because I think twenty and thirty percent a year is unsustainable. So yeah. if we soften that side of it, uh, I think, and the rents continue to go up, you actually might start to see better yields on investment properties moving forward too, and you might get some deals because now there's more inventory to to go make offers on. I completely agree, and I think again, you can refinance later if rates go down. Yeah. So, what did they say? You buy the house, date the rate. You ever heard that? Yeah, exactly. That's a great yeah. take. Buy the house, date the rate. In other words, you don't have to own that interest rate forever. Just own it until you get a better deal. So I, I want to talk about too. So if you're a buyer, if you're a seller and you're an investor, you know, all, all different three of those things, what are you doing? As a buyer right now, I'm seeing that you have a lot more advantages. What about you? I think it's a great time to be a buyer. You know, if you can afford it, obviously, I think it's going to hurt. It's hurting two categories. It's hurting first-time home buyers who barely had enough money to buy that starter home. You know, if you couldn't afford the low end of the market, you're you're in trouble. It was hard. As interest rates go up, you're getting pushed out. Uh, I think on the luxury side, on the upper end, I think you're also going to see some pullback because again, those people have a lot of investments and they're looking at it as, hey, I don't want to invest in anything if I think I'm already at the peak of the market on something super expensive. So. I think those two segments are going to pull back. But if you're middle class, you have a great job, you still have good income. The reason they're raising rates is because too many people are employed, too many people are making good money, they printed too much money, you know, there's too much money out there. And so they're trying to slow it down. They're literally trying to tell people to stop doing things by raising rates. So if you're a well-qualified buyer, if you make good income, I mean, I've written three offers in the last few days and some of the price points are pretty high. And it's because, well, they have a great job, (laughs) you know, to them, this is an opportunity to walk in and maybe be the only offer on a house or maybe compete against one person versus having to compete against 10. And so, and there's more inventory to look at, which is also a huge bonus. So as a buyer, it's shifting to you. Everything's coming to you. You're now going to get some contingencies back that you didn't get to have, like the appraisal contingency, you know, in the last two or three years, I feel like every buyer offer I wrote, you just had to, if you offered a price, you had to stick to that price with the seller, even if the appraisal came in low. Well, now I've got more buyers under contract that can say, hey, if the appraisal comes in low, I have the right to either terminate or renegotiate the price. So I love seeing that one come back. Uh, I think there's some other clauses from title policies to HOAs to things like that, longer option periods. You're just getting things going on in contracts now that we haven't had the luxury to do with buyers for the past two or three years. So that's a really positive thing. And just more inventory. At the end of the day, buyers 
want more stuff to look at. And if you have more stuff to show them, that's always a good thing because it makes them feel like they got to pick it out versus having to settle for the one house for sale, you know, at that time. Yeah. And they're still fun to do that. And also, you know, when yeah. you're going into the option period, your option fee doesn't have to be as aggressive. So you're not. Yeah. It doesn't money. always have to be thousands of dollars. It can do, you know, in Texas, for those not in Texas, you know, we pay for the right to have this due diligence window at the beginning of a contract called the option period. It's completely negotiable. What I tell my buyers is you are buying a parachute. You paid for it and you have the right to pull the ripcord if you want. And so you bought a parachute for how much time? So that's called the option period. Usually, you know, a normal time would be seven to 10 days back when it was slower. You know, as we got into the heat of the market, some people were waving it away completely. Most buyers were somewhere between three and five days, a very tiny window to squeeze a home inspector in there and try to get some data. Uh, so it was tough. It was tough on buyers and, and very challenging to, to use it. And so now I think you're going to see that buyers are going to get some more time to have an inspection. They won't have to pay as much. Um, I think you'll see sellers slowly but surely start to be more eager to help that buyer and, you know, give them something, whether it's price or an extra contingency or something to get them to stay in contract with them. The, buy, the sellers are going to start to learn they don't want to go back on the market. You know, you want to take that first buyer if it's your best offer and, and stick with them. So, uh, you know, you're going to see some stuff like that come back. And I think you'll see buyers, or sorry, I think you're going to see sellers have to get more creative. If they have a buyer that could walk, you know, do they start buying interest rate points for that buyer, giving them a higher credit uh, for repairs after closing? These are things that would never have been discussed uh, when you had 15 offers. But if you only have one buyer, that seller may be more willing to, to work with that buyer and keep them in a deal. Yeah, and I think that's that's a good segue to uh, some advantages you have as a buyer right now. So you do have more leverage. You, you are so you can yep. offer offer a, a reasonable price for a home. You can still get a home with a longer option period. You know, you get some contingencies back. You get your option period. You get your appraisal contingency. But also, I think that you can ask for a closing cost. I'm seeing that come into play now. And yep. not everybody knows closing costs can be used for a multitude of things. One is paying your, your lender's closing costs, but the other, like Ryan just mentioned, is you can buy down your rate with closing costs. So maybe you ask the seller for five or 10 grand and you use that to buy down that rate and make it more favorable for you. So we just did that on a deal. Rate. I just did that on one of my listings. So I, I had a listing and this is a house that needed, you know, we knew up front needed a ton of work. We were selling it as a house that, you know, it needed to be remodeled. And we ended up finding some issues under, the buyer found some issues, more issues under contract. So we negotiated where instead of lowering the price, just like you said, they asked for this big closing cost, more than I would have thought they'd have closing costs for. So I rung up the lender and I said, hey, that, do, you, do you even have that many closing costs? And he was like, well, here's what they're gonna do. They're gonna add two more points to their loan to bring that interest rate down another half point. And so yes, now their closing costs have gone up. And so they have room to give a closing cost credit. The sellers have room to give a closing cost credit. So it's a great strategy. And not only that, especially with interest rates spiking the way they did, buyers are going to feel good if they can play that game and lower that rate down a little bit because the seller is helping them pay for it mm -hmm. versus having to compete over the price where a seller is less inclined to want to give you a big price reduction. The seller is going to be a little more stuck on the price versus closing costs.
So that's a great way to play it uh, with buyers is think about how you can manipulate the closing costs. Uh, so the seller thinks they're keeping their price, but really you're getting money back in the closing costs. Absolutely. Love that. So yeah, a bunch of more, bunch more advantages you have as a buyer right now and be creative, you know, think outside the box, use those closing costs to add towards all sorts of things to give you the advantage and make you feel comfortable in buying a home right now. If I'm getting 10, 15, 20 grand in closing costs, I'm getting all my closing costs covered and I'm buying down a rate, I'm pretty happy. So as an investor, and we're both investors on this call too. So as an investor right now, what, what are you thinking? Are you saying, I'm not buying houses anymore. I, I, don't, I don't think I wanna invest or where I, I'm looking at it and I'm just saying, hey, I'm gonna tighten up my criteria a little bit. I'm gonna get a little, yeah. a little more stringent with the deal that I'll take because the cost of debt has gone up. So I'm gonna be a little pickier with the deals, but we, we actually just closed one yesterday. I'm refinancing this sometime in the next week or two. Um, I think there's still lots of deals to be done, but you do need to be a little pickier. I'm telling people, hey, be pickier because you can. Where you couldn't, yep. you know very well, you could not the last couple of years and there was no reason to be. Have you wanted to be part of GoBundance, the tribe of millionaires, but just haven't hit that millionaire status yet? Well, now you can, not even being a millionaire, by joining our new program, GoBundance Emerge. My name's Jamie Gruber, creator of GoBundance Emerge and member of the GoBundance community. And now you can join. GoBundance.com slash emerge. GoBundance.com slash emerge. Use code Jordan for $100 off this 12-week goal-setting program and mastermind that'll propel you to being a whole-life millionaire. You, can you know, it's, a, it's, it's going to be interesting, right? I think interest rates obviously makes the numbers not work as well. Mm-hmm. And home prices yet as a median for the market have not come down. So right now, I think we're at least at our peak for 2022, unless we see that they keep going up. But let's say, you know, so far, price hasn't come down. So right now, we're kind of at the peak where at least a spreadsheet might be a little difficult, right? On just a standard single family you know, purchase rental with a with a low down payment. It's going to be very hard to get cash flow. Mm-hmm. But the, the key is what can you do? I've got several clients doing 1031 exchanges. So they're either taking money out of the market, but I've got some bringing money into the market too. And so they're buying properties with 1031 exchanges. One of my clients, uh, we found a property. It's a really nice property. It's been remodeled uh, in one of the suburbs and it's a little over a million dollars. Well, we were able to get that property 75 grand off asking why? Because it sat around a little bit and it, it didn't have enough competition. The sellers were probably real close to doing a price reduction anyway. So we just kind of came in knowing that and started even lower than that number and kind of found, found a number that worked for both parties. But you can start now to have some conversations with sellers that maybe didn't sell quickly. You can't do it first weekend, okay? But if, it, if a house has been on the market 14 days or 21 days or a month, you know, I think now you can start having those conversations where you say, hey, we're going to come in at a lower price and here's why and here's comps, you know, and you might start to get sellers that realize, hey, I need to give, I, I need to do a deal below asking. And that's not something we've gotten the opportunity to do in a while. Well, there's some opportunity big time. So, you know, getting the opportunity to find some deals like that is really good. Uh, I also think it depends where you're looking. So, if you are looking in the city, uh, I think the prices will hold up a little better is my personal opinion, uh, because when things soften 
and the prices don't move, people will probably come back more into the core and not way out onto the extremes. I think you're gonna see more price reductions and more opportunities out in the edges of the suburbs where there's lots of new construction. So Jordan, you and I had this conversation ad nauseum with investors. Hey, none of the builders are gonna let me as an investor buy a new house. Yeah. You know, they just totally, uh, you know, why iced out all the investors. Only we're only going to sell to primary homeowners. Well, now they're all coming back begging, like, hey, oh, we'll sell to you know investors, and we're giving higher commission bonuses, and we're we'll we'll, we'll cover some closing costs. So the the high interest rates have probably more than anybody hit them the hardest, hit builders the hardest. Mm-hmm. So we're getting my inbox is filled with builders right now saying, hey, we'll do deals. You know, come come to us. We got higher commissions and, and closing costs for buyers. So I think if an investor wanted new construction, this might be an opportunity to go have a conversation uh, with some new construction communities. But if you really want to tweak it, I would go after the resale homes in a new construction neighborhood because during the pandemic, resale got a premium over new construction, which sounds backwards, but it's because new construction was so backed up and it would take a year to build the house. Oh, wow, yeah. Sale was ready. Right? You could buy it and in a month you can live in it. And so homeowners got used to that where they could sell their house at a premium over the builders. It has done a complete 180, I think. And so, and the normal is the new home should be more expensive than a two or three or four year old home, just like a car, right? So mm-hmm. what's happening now is you have a lot of these resale homes going, uh-oh, now I have to compete against the builders again who are offering all these discounts and incentives. Well, I can't offer, you know, do I have to do that? I'm a resale seller. So I think there could be some opportunity to buy some resale homes in a community that has new construction, if that's something you wanted to do. Yeah. And I think you'll get more and more of a discount going out further. I've yeah. seen a few duplexes in Elgin listed under 300,000, which we would have never seen that. They'll get hit first. I think if the, you know, if there's, if somebody's going to get hit first when the shift happens, you know, it's going to hit the outer edges first. The, mm-hmm. the inner core is probably going to be a little more insulated because you're not competing really against new construction. You're mm-hmm. actually just competing against similar aged properties to you. And then you can really have a bigger disparity in condition. So if you can find, you know, if you're a really nice fixed up home in the city, you're only competing against really nice fixed up homes in your area, which is a smaller pool than if you're out in new construction land where everything's nice and new and there's tons of it, you know, you're going to have a much harder time as a seller and a builder pushing that inventory if, than if it was in the city. Absolutely. So let's, let's move on now for sellers. So for somebody to sell it right now or, or wants to sell their home and they said, hey, I bought this home in late 2019. I'm moving to New York or I'm moving out of state or I'm just moving down the street and I want a bigger home or I'm an investor. I'm trying to capitalize and take my, take my 1031 funds and go elsewhere and make more money with them. So if I'm a seller right now, I'm just the basics. I'll go over the basics that I'm telling people real quick is number one, it has to be priced right. That is the most important thing. You cannot price optimistically. You cannot price incorrectly. You need to figure out exactly what the home is worth and price a little below that. Yeah, but you need to be at a discount to peak comps for sure. It it needs to look great too. So if you got a home that looks great and it's awesome, it's amazing. Make sure it's super clean. Make sure every little thing is fixed. 
But then like Brian's saying, put a little discount compared to the one that's just recently sold three months ago. Jordan Moorhead here. Really quick, he wanted to tell you a couple other ways you can keep track of us. If you want to listen to all these podcasts and ask questions, the Moorhead team on YouTube is the best place to be. And then Austin Real Estate Investors on Meetup is a great place to keep track of all of our meetups we have going on. Yeah, because you need traffic now. The traffic's not there. So, if you know, in the in the peak, you could have listed and had 80 people come through your house in 48 hours. I mean, it could have been a, you know, it was crazy how many people could look at a house. Well, now you're back to normal times where a good first weekend may have five, 10, you know, buyers come through, which is not a huge pool. And I've always told my sellers when it was super hot, maybe one out of every three buyers would write an offer. You could just get lots of offers. Now you're back to the days where it may take 10 or 15 buyers before you get one offer. And so, you know, it's a numbers game. And so I definitely agree. I would tell my sellers today, if you're looking at a house that sold in March, that means it wrote a contract in February. And in February, we had one third the amount of homes for sale and the interest rate was 200% lower than where it is now. So it was just a completely different market. You cannot price as if you are selling in that same environment. You need to be at a little bit of a discount to that house. And not just the sold price, you need to look at where they listed that house too. Because if it sold 10% over, you know you need to look at their list price and you might even need to be a discount off their list price, not just the sold price. So you know you definitely have to do that as a seller. I think the other thing that you and I saw and I never stopped doing this, but I'm always a believer that I don't care what market you're in. You need to take professional photos. You need to provide the tours. You need to stage the house. You need to have good lighting. You, you, know, you still have to do all the things it takes to present the house in its best light. And as Jordan mentioned, you need to work with the, you know, us as realtors. We need to work with the sellers up front and say, hey, you know, you need to repaint this house, you know, like I I know you love these red walls, but a buyer wants white walls. Okay. So just let's spend the money. I promise you will get it back. That conversation should still happen. Mm -hmm. I think what happened in the peak of the pandemic is it did become maybe so easy because the inventory was so low. We saw listings with that looked terrible. They had terrible photos. The lawn wasn't mowed and they would still get five offers. Right. And so that has changed a hundred percent. You know, the listings that are still doing all the right things, scheduling the open houses, doing the, what they put the signs out, doing everything they need to do. They're still going to have a fighting chance to get a good, decent sale, but the listings that are still playing it cheap and easy and not doing the repairs and not fixing up their home. I think they're in right now and already feeling it a rude awakening that you are not just going to get to throw your house on the market and get a buyer. You have to work for it. You have to market the house and that includes condition. And so I think sellers now are probably going to have to start realizing I got to do some work. You know, I got to fix a few things. I might have to remodel a room. I may have to replace the roof. They're going to have to spend some money to sell their house now. And that's something that some sellers didn't have to think about, at least for the last two years. But again, this is only two years. It's not like we've been doing this for 10. If you go back to 2019, this is what sellers had to do. They had to, you had to put some work in before you sold your house. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I think everything we've gone over today here, absolutely, it's not the same market that it was a year ago or two years ago. And I know that you you talk to people every day the same as me. 
some are really scared and some think, still think we're shooting along at breakneck speed. Yeah. The truth is somewhere in the middle. The market has shifted. We are in still a seller's market, but it's not as extreme of a seller's market. So for everybody listening who is thinking, hey, maybe I want to buy, maybe I want to sell, maybe I want to invest, my advice for anybody looking to buy, and Ryan, you mentioned this earlier, make sure you can afford the payment and you're good to go. You know, if you can afford it, it's a house you want to live in, in an area you want to live in, don't worry about it. If rates go down, refinance later. If you want to invest, and Ryan, you mentioned this too, make sure the numbers work. Be a little pickier. Yep. You don't have to be just crazy conservative and say, well, I'm going to have to go way overboard on my expenses and I have to make way more cash flow because what if? If the numbers work, they work. That's how investing works. Don't get too crazy about it. Get deals done. If you're a seller, you know, Ryan, you talked all about this at length. Make sure you're pricing it right. Make sure it looks great. And make sure you're really just being realistic with where you are in the market, which, you know, like in the normal, normal times, you have to do the work to your house that somebody else is going to want to come in and buy it. You got to think of from your perspective, hey, if I'm buying this house, do I want to inherit all these problems? Definitely not. I think, too, here's one more tip. So if you own small multifamily, I do, you do. Mm -hmm. So let's say you own a duplex or a fourplex, for example. If you're a seller right now, I highly recommend putting it on the market with at least one unit vacant. Mm -hmm. uh, and the reason is, is because if you have them both filled up, I rarely see a duplex. And I mean, rarely see a duplex that's truly at market rate rent. They're always under rented, Absolutely. especially as interest rates go up and price. So, you know, the properties have gotten valued so high and they're still renting for like $1,200 a side or something. It just doesn't make any sense as an investor to buy that property. But if you can have a unit vacant, well, now all of a sudden that could be a primary home buyer. It could be, you know, Jordan, you work with so many people that house hack is a perfect house hack. Get into that duplex. You got another unit. You can raise the rent over time, but you could fix up your unit, live in it. It's great for house hacking. But more importantly, that gives the investor the opportunity to get at least one of the units all the way up to a market rent today, uh, which can make the numbers work better. So I just see too many duplexes where they, I think that there's some panic selling, I think in that, that category right now. So the duplexes went from nothing to like, there's a decent amount of duplexes out there now, but I think a lot of them, they haven't lowered their price and the rents are too low. And so the numbers don't still work, but if they had vacant units, I think that would really help the market uh, for the buyers uh, to still be able to come in and maybe pay a better price because they can do something with that unit. If you sell it with the tenants on these long leases, it's very hard for the investor to buy it because they're going to be underwater for such a long time waiting to get a vacant unit. Absolutely. Love that. So, and you know, I think the reason we did this podcast today, guys, is we're not we're not trying to sell you a bag of goods. The market is different. We don't we don't oh, yeah. think that it's going to be the same, and you can buy a house tomorrow and sell it, so buy a house today and sell it for more tomorrow. That's probably not going to happen anytime here soon. But if you can still buy, sell, or invest in real estate, you just need to do it right. You need to, to be correct with your numbers. And the reason I don't say something like cautious because cautious, I, I find a lot of times when people say, "Oh, I'm just being cautious," they're just they're being scared and they're being incorrect with their numbers. Be correct with your numbers. Can you make the payment as a buyer? Can you get what you need as a seller? You're going to make way more than you would have two years ago or a year ago. 
And as an investor, do your numbers work? And that's all you got to worry about. Yeah. And I think don't panic sell. You're not going to have panic buyers, right? So I would say for the sellers, don't panic sell. Sell when you need to sell Mm -hmm. uh, and have a plan with that money. Don't just sell because you're worried the prices are going to come down or something like that. They might, you know, I mean, I do think the median price this year will come down. But long term, you know, if you're here for two or three more years, I'm not that worried about Austin. I think Austin's going to be just fine. Every day I'm still seeing articles of all these companies bringing jobs and now movie, you know, movie studio and San Marcos and SpaceX is coming with land. And so, I mean, they're not the the commercial side is is still as hot as it could ever be. Not commercial real estate, but the, the companies coming to town, they're still pouring in and bringing all the good jobs. And so, you know, we're going to have an inventory problem a little bit for a while. Uh, I think we're going to build back up to normal times. Interest rates will dictate how high of in- inventory we end up building up. But if interest rates cool off and start to stabilize at 6 or 7%, I wouldn't be surprised if in three or four months, it's a healthy market. And, you know, it won't look like the pandemic. Pandemic's over. Stop comparing it to the pandemic. Go back and compare it to regular times. And I think that's where we're going. We're going back to regular times, which is healthy. Yeah, I completely agree with you. Ryan, thank you so much for coming on here today. And again, if anybody wants to reach out to you, Ryan, what's the best way to reach you? Yeah, uh, Ryan Kelly at kw.com is my email. And on social media, uh, Ryan Kelly Group is my handle on all the platforms. Awesome. And guys, you know, as always, you can reach out to the Moorhead team or jordan.moorhead at kw.com. Um, anywhere you want to look, we're pretty easy to find. But yeah, thank you so much, Ryan. Again, anybody reach out to us. It's not a time to be scared. It's a time to be correct. It's a time to ignore all those media articles and ignore all the negativity around you too. Well, thank you, Jordan. It's been a pleasure. More back to house hunting. Yeah, have a great day. You too. Take care.